your girl Ty here with coming to another chapter of A Christmas Carol. And this time it's chapter four of our story, The Ghost of Christmas Future. And I believe that all of you should be reminded the Ghost of Christmas Future is not a nice thing to see. But then again, they did create a nice version of the Ghost of Christmas Future in the Muppets, cartoons, and everything else in the way. But uh, let's get into our story part one of chapter four. The Phantom slowly and gravely silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee and for in the very air through which the spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black garment which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of its invisible face, save one outstretched on the hand. But for this it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separating it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. He felt that it was tall and stainly when it came beside him, and that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come, said Scrooge. The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with his hand. You are about to show me shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before. Scrooge pursued. Is that so, Spirit? The upper portion of the garment was contracted for an instant. In its folds, as if the Spirit had inclined its head, that was the only answer he received. Although well used to ghostly company, by this time Scrooge feared the violent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him, and he found that he could hardly stand when he appeared to follow it. The spirits paused a moment and observed his condition, giving him time to recover. But Scrooge was all the worse for this. It thrilled him with a vulgar, unsustained horror to know that behind the dusky shroud there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him while he, though he stretched his own to an unmost could see nothing but a spectacle hand and one great heap of black. Ghost of the future, he explained, I fear you more than any in the spectrum I have seen, but as I know your purpose, it is unto me good, and as I hope to live to be another man for what I was, I prepare to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before him. Lead on, said Scrooge, lead on. The night was morning fast. It is a precious time to me. I know, lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away as it had come toward him. Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress, which bore him up. He thought and carried him along that scarcely seemed to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to spring up about them and encompass them of its own act. But there, were, there they were, in the heart of it, on change amongst the merchants, who hurried up and down, the cheeks and the money in their pockets, and conversing groups, and looked at their watches, and trifled thoughtfully with their great gold seals. And so forth, as Scrooge had seen them often, the spirits stopped beside him, one little knot of businessmen. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. No, said the great fat man with a monstrous chin. I don't know much about it either. Wait, I know he's dead. When did he die? inquired another. Last night, I believe. 
Why? What was the matter with him? Asked Luke III, taking a bag quantity of snuff out of a very large snuff box. I thought he'd never die, God knows, said the first with a yawn. What has he done with his money? Asked a red-faced gentleman with a pendulous excrement on the end of his nose that he shook like the gills of a turkey cock. I haven't heard, said the man with a large chin yawning again. Left it to his company, perhaps. It hasn't left it to me. That's all I know. This unpleasant dream was received by a general laugh. It's likely it must be very cheap funeral, said the same speaker. For upon my life, I don't know of anybody to go into it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going if a lunch is provided, observed the gentleman with the extensive on his nose. But I must be fed. If I make one another laugh, well, I am most disinterested among you. After all, said the first speaker, for I never wear black gloves, and I never eat much. But I'll offer to go if anybody else will. When I come to think of it, I'm not at all sure that I wasn't his most particular friend. For we used to stop and speak whenever we met. Bye-bye. Speakers and listeners strolled away and mixed with other groups. Scrooge knew the men and looked toward the spirit for an explanation. The phantom gilded on into the street and fingered and pointed to the two persons meeting. Scrooge listened again, thinking that the explanation might lie here. He knew these men, also perfectly. They were men of business, very wealthy and great importance. He had made a point always of standing well in their esteem. In a business point of view, that is, strictly in a business point of view. How are you, said one. How are you, returned the other. Well, said the first, old Scratch has gone on at last. Hey, so I am told, returned the second. Cold, isn't it? Seasonable for Christmas time. You're not a skater, I suppose. No, no. Something else I think of good more. Not another word. That was their meeting and their conversation and their parting. Scrooge was the first inclined to surprise that spirits should attach. Importance of its conversation, apparently, to trifle, but feeling assured that they must have some hidden purpose, he set himself to consider what it was likely to be they could scarcely be supposed to have any bearing on the death of Jacob, his old partner, for that was past, and this ghost provides what the future. Nor could he think of anyone immediately connected with himself, to whom he could apply them. But nothing doubted that to whomsoever they applied, they had some limited moral for his own improvement. He resolved to treasure up every word he heard, and everything he saw, and especially to observe the shadow of himself when it appeared, for he had an expectation that the conduct of his future self would give him the clue he missed, and would render the solution of these riddles easy. He looked about in that very place for his own image, but another man stood in his accustomed corner, and though the clock pointed to an unusual time of the day, for being there he saw the likeness of himself among the multitudes and poured in through the porch. It gave him little surprise, however, for he had been revolving in his mind and a change of life, and thought and hoped when he saw a newborn resolution carried out in his quiet and dark. Beside him stood the phantom with its outstretched hand, 
When he roused himself from his thoughtful quest, he fenced from a turn of a hand, and in situation, in reference to himself, that's the unseen eye. We're looking at him meanly. It made him shudder and feel very cold. They left the busy scene and went into the upskirt part of the town, where Scrooge had never printed before. Although he recognized its situation and its bad repute, the ways were foul and narrow. The shops and houses wretched, the people half-naked, drunken, slip-top, ugly, alleys and archways, like so many cesspools, discord their offices and smell and dirt and life upon the straggling streets, and the whole quarter reeked with crime, with filth and misery. Far in the den of an infamous resort, there was a low, brown, beetling shop below a penthouse roof, where iron old rags, bottles, bones, and greasy and awful were brought. Upon the floor within were piled up heaps of rusty keys, nails, chains, hinges, files, scales, weighs, and refuse iron of all kinds. Secrets that few would like to secure were bred and hidden in mountains of unseemly red masses of corrupted fat and subcultures of bones, sitting in among the ways he dealt in. By the charcoal stove, made an old brick and was a gray-haired rascal, nearly seventeen years of age, who had screened himself from the cold air without by a frowsy, curtaining, and miscalculous tatters. Hung upon the line, a smoked his pipe in his luxurious and calm retirement, Scrooge and the Phantom came into the presence of his man, just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop, but she had scarcely entered when another woman, similarly laden, came into. But she was closely followed by a man in faded black, who was no less startled by the sight of them. Then they had been upon the recognition of each other. After a short period blank astonishment in which the old man with the pipe and joined them, they all three burst into laugh. Let the charwoman alone to be the first, cried she who entered first. Let the laundriness alone and to be the second, and let the undertaker man alone to be the third. Look here, old Joe, here's a chance if you, we haven't all three met here without meaning it. You couldn't have met in a better place, said old Joe, removing his pipe from his mouth. Come into the parlor. You were made free of it long ago, you know, and the other two ain't strangers. Stop till I shut the door of the shop. Ah, how it shrieks. There ain't such a rusty bit of metal in the place as its own hinges. I believe I am sure there's no such old bones. They're as mine. Ha ha. We're all suitable to our calling. We're all matched. We can come into the parlor. Come into the parlor. The parlor was the space behind the screen of rags. The old man ranked the fire together with an old rod, and having trimmed his smoky lamp before it was night, with the stem of his pipe put in his mouth again, while he did this, the woman who had already spoken threw her bundle on the floor and sat down in a flying manner on the stool, crossing her elbows on her knees and looking with a bold defiance at the other two. What odd, then? What odd, Mrs. Dibbler, said the woman. Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He 
always did. That's true indeed, said the laundryness. No man more so. Why then, don't stand staring as if you was afraid of woman. Who's the wiser? We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs. Dibbler, and the man together. We shouldn't hope not. Very well, then, cried the woman. That's enough. Who's the worst of the loss of few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs. Dibbler, laughing. If he wanted to keep him after he was dead, a wicked old screw pursued the woman. Why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have had somebody to look after him when he was struck with death instead of lying gasping at his last there alone by himself it's uh, the trustees in the word that every was spoke said mrs dibbler it's a judgment on him i wish it was a little heavier one replied the woman and it should have been you may depend upon it if i could have laid my hands on anything else open that bundle, old Joe, and let me know the value of it. Speak out plain. I am not afraid to be the first, nor afraid for them to see it. We know pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met them. I believe it's no sin upon the bundle, Joe, but the gallantry of her friends would not allow of this. And the men in the faded black mounting the breach first produced his blunder. It was not an extensive a seal or two, a pencil case, a pair of sleeve buttons, and a brooch of no great value were all. They were separately examined and appraised by old Joe, who chalked the sum he was disposed to give him for each upon the wall and added them up into the total when he found there was nothing more to come. That's your account, said Joe. And I wouldn't give another sixpence if I was to be boiled for not doing it. Who's next? Mrs. Dibbler was next. Sheets and towels, a little wearing appeal, two old-fashioned silver teaspoons, a pair of sugar tongs, and a few boots. Her accountant was stated on the wall in the same manner. I always give too much on his ladies. It's a weakness of mine. And that's the way I ruin myself, said old Joe. That's old. That's your account. If you asked me for another penny, then made it an open question. I'd repent of being a liberal and knock off half a crown. And now undo my bundle, Joe, said the first woman. Joe went down on his knees for a greater convincing of opening it and having unfastened a great many knots, dragged out a large and heavy roll of some dark stuff. What do you call this, said Joe? Bed curtains? Ah, returned to the woman laughing and leaning forward on her crossed arms, bed curtain. You don't mean to say and you took him down, rings and all. And him lying there, said Joe? Yes, I do, replied the woman. Why not? You were born to make your fortune, said Joe, and you'll certainly do it. I certainly shan't hold my hand when I can't get anything in by reaching out. For the sake of such a man as he was, I promise you, Joe returned the woman coolly, down dropping the oil upon the blankets. Now, his blankets? asked Joe. Who else did you think? replied the woman. He isn't likely to take cold without them, I dare say. I hope he didn't die for anything catching, eh? said old Joe, stopping in his work and looking up. Don't you be afraid of that. 
returned the old woman, I ain't in so fond of his company that I'd morally about him for such things. If he did, ah, you may look through that shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a hole in it, nor a thread in a pace. Please, it's a best he had, and find one too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What do you call wasting of it? asked old Joe, putting it on him to be buried in to be sure, replied the woman with a laugh. Somebody was fool enough to do it. But I took it off again, said Calico. Ain't good nothing for such a purpose. It isn't good enough for anything. It's quite as becoming to his body. He can't look uglier than he did in that one. Scrooge listened to the dialogue in horror. As they sat in Grouped about their spoil in the scaly light afforded by the old man's lamp, he viewed them with a destination and disgust, which could hardly have been greater. Though they had been obscured demons marketing the corpse itself. Ha ha! laughed the same woman when old Joe, producing a flannel bag with money in it, told out the several gains upon the ground. This is the end of it, you see. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive. To profit us when he was dead. Ha ha ha! Spirit, said Scrooge, shuddered from his head to his foot. I see, I see. That case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life attends that way. Now, merciful heavens, what is this? Recoil terror? Oh, dear. He recoiled in terror for the scene had changed. <laughs> and now he almost touched a bed, a bare and uncurtained bed, but which beneath a ragged sheet, there lay something covered up, which though it was dumb, it was dumb, all right, announced himself in an awful language. The room was very dark, too dark to be observed. With any accuracy, though the Scrooge glanced around in its obediency to a secret impulse, anxious to know what kind of room it was, a pale light raising or rising in the outer air, fell straight upon the bed, and on it, plundered and barefoot, unwatched, unwept, uncared, for was the body of this man Scrooge glanced toward the phantom. Its steady hand was pointed into the head and covered with soap carelessly, adjusting that the slightest raising of it, the motion of a finger upon Scrooge's part, would have disclosed the face. He thought of it, felt how easy it would be in it to do, and longed to do it, but had no more power to withdraw the veil than to dismiss the spectre at his side. O oh, cold, cold, rigid, and dreadful death, set up thine altar here, to dress it with such terrors as thou hast at thy command. For this is thine dominion, but of the loved and revered and honored head, thou canst not turn one hair to thy dread purpose, or make one feature Odysseus. It is not that the hand is heavy, and will fall down when released. It is not that the heart and pulse are still, but that the hand open, generous, and true, the heart brave, warm, and tender, and the pulse of man strike, shadow strike, and see it's his good deeds, springing from the wounds, to sound the world from life immortal, 
no voice pronounced these words in Scrooge's ears, and yet he heard them. When he looked upon his bed, he thought if this man could be raised up now, what would his foremost thoughts, after his hard dealing and gripping cares, think had brought him to a rich end truly? He lay in the dark empty house with no not a man, a woman, or a child. To say that he was kind to me in this or that, and for the memory of one kind word, I will be kind unto him. A cat was tearing at the door, and there was a sound of yawning rats beneath the hard stone. What they wanted in the room of death, and why they were so restless and disturbed. Scrooge did not dare to drink. Spirit, he said, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson. Trust me, let us go. Steal the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, Scrooge returned, and I would do it, if I could. But I have not the power, Spirit. I have not the power again. It seemed to look upon him. If there is any person in the town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, said Scrooge, quite and astonished. Show that person to me, spirit. I beseech you. The fan spread its dark robe before him for a moment like a wig, and withdrawing it, revealed a room by daylight where a mother and her children were. She was expecting someone, and with anxious eagerness, for she walked up and down the room, started at every sound, looked out from the window, glanced at the clock, tried but in vain to work with her needle and could hardly bear the voices of the children in their play. At length, a long-expected knock was heard. She hurried up to the door and met her husband, a man whose face was careworn and depressed, although he was young. There was a remarkable expression in it now, kind of serious delight, of which he felt ashamed, and which he struggled to repress. He sat down to the dinner that had been hoarding him by the fire, and when she asked him faintly what news, which was not until after long silence, he appeared embarrassed how to answer. It is good, she said, or bad to help him? Bad, he answered. We are quite ruined. No, there is no hope yet, Caroline. If he relents, she said, amazed, there is nothing in past hope in such a miracle has happened. He is past relenting, said her husband. He is dead. She was a mild and patient creature. If her face spoke the truth, but she was thankful in her soul to hear it. And she said so with a clasped hand. She prayed forgiveness at next moment and was sorry. But the first was the emotion of her heart. What the half-drunken woman who I told you of last night said to me when I tried to see him and obtain a week's delay, and what I thought was mere excuse to avoid me, turns out to have been quite true. He was not the only very ill but dying then. To whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know. But before that time, we shall be ready with the money. And even though we, are, we were not, it would be a bad fortune indeed to find a merchantless and creditor in his successor. We may sleep tonight with light hearts on Caroline, yet softened it is as they would. Their hearts were lighter, the children's faces hushed and clutched round to hear what they so little understood. Were brighter and it was a happier house for the man's death, the only emotion that the ghost could show him. 
cause of inviting the event was in one of the pleasure. Let me see in some tenderness and connect it with the death, said Scrooge, for the dark chamber spirit, which we left just now. We be forever present to me. The ghost conducted him through several streets unfamiliar to his feet, and as they went along, Scrooge looked here and there to find himself, but nowhere was he to be seen. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house, the dwelling he had visited before, and found the mother and the children seated around the fire. Quiet, very quiet, the noise the little Cratchits were as still as statues in one corner, and sat looking up at Peter, who had a book before him. The mother and his daughters were engaged in sewing, but surely they were very quiet, and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. We had Scrooge and heard those words. He had not dreamed them. The boy must have read them out, and he had the spirit crossed in the threshold. Why did he not go? The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand on, on her face. The color hurts my eyes, she said. The color of poor tiny Tim. They better now again. The crotched wife. It makes them weak by candlelight, and I wouldn't show weak eyes unto your father when he comes home. For the world, it must be near his time. Past it rather, Peter answered, shuddering up his book, but I think he has walked a little slower than he used. These few last evenings, mother, they were very quiet again, as last when she said, and it in a steady, cheerful voice. That only faltered once. I have known him walk with I have known him walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder, very fast indeed. And so I have, cried Peter, often. And so I, exclaimed another, so had all. But he was very light to carry. She resumed intent upon her work, and his father left him so, that it was no trouble, no trouble, that there is your father at the door. She hurried up to meet him, and the little Bob in his comforter, he had need of it. Poor fellow came in. His tea was ready for him on his palm, and they all tried who should help him to its most. Then the two young Cratchits come upon its knees and laid, each child a little cheek against his face, as if they said, Don't mind it. Father, don't be grieved. Bob was very cheerful with them, and spoke pleasantly to all the family. He looked at all the work upon the table and praised under the industrial and speed of Mrs. Cratchit and the girls. They would be done long before Sunday, he said. Sunday? You went today and then, Robert? said his wife. Yes, my dear, returned Bob. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you'll see it often, I promise him that I would walk there on a Sunday. My little, little child, cried Bob, my little child. He broke down all at once. He could help it. it he could have helped it. He and his child would have been farther apart, perhaps, than they were. He left the room and went upstairs into the room above, which was lighted cheerfully and hung with Christmas. There was a chair and we sat close beside the child, and there were signs of someone having been there. Lately, poor Bob sat down in it, and when he had thought a little and composed himself, he kissed the little face. He was reconciled to what had happened, and went down again 
quite happy. They drew upon the fire and talked with the girl who had mother. Working still, Bob told them of an extraordinary kindness of Mr. Scrooge's nephew, whom he had scarcely seen but once, and who meeting him in the street that day, and seeing that he looked a little, just a little down, you know, that Bob inquired what had happened to distress him, on which said Bob, for he is the pleasantest spoken gentleman you have ever heard. I told him I am heartily sorry for it, Mr. Crotchet, and said and heartily sorry for your good wife, by and by how he ever knew that. I don't know. Knew what, my dear? What? Why that you were a good wife, replied Bob. Everyone knows that, said Peter. Very well, observed my boy, cried Bob. I hope they do. Heartily sorry, he said, for your good wife, if I can be of service to you in any way, he said, giving me this card. That's where I live. Pray come to me. Now it wasn't, cried Bob, for the sake of every anything he might be able to do for us, so much as for his kind way. That this was quite delightful. It really seemed as if he had known our tiny Tim and felt with us. I'm sure he's a good soul, Mrs. Crotchet. You wouldn't be sure of it, my dear, returned Bob. If you saw and spoke to him, I shouldn't be at all surprised, Mark. What I say if he got Peter a better situation. Only hear that, Peter, said Mrs. Crotchet. And then, cried over one of the girls, Peter would be keep being company and with someone and setting up for himself. Get along with you, retorted Peter, grinning. It's just likely as not, said Bob. One of these days, though there are plenty of time for that, my dear, but however and whenever we part from one another, I am sure we shall none of us forget poor tiny Tim. Shall we, or this first parting, that there was among us? Never, father, cried they all. And I know, said Bob, I know, my dears, that when we recollect how impatient and how mild he was, although he was little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor tiny Tim in doing it. No, never, father, they all cried again. I am very happy, said little Bob. I am very happy. Mrs. Crotchet kissed him. His daughters kissed him and two young Crotchets kissed him. And Peter and himself shook hands. Spirit of tiny Tim, thy childish essence was from God. Spectrum, said Scrooge, something informs me that our imparting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me, what man that was whom we saw lying dead? All right, so that was part one of chapter four, The Ghost of Christmas Future. I hope all of you enjoyed that. I know I did. We will get into part two in the next episode. In the meantime, this is Ty saying happy holidays. Bye!